Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. It's a numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. We did the uh, dramatic pause thing this morning. It is a numbers game right here at Visa, the Sports Betting Network, Visa.com, the Visa app, Fubo Slay Game Plus. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. Is it Tuesday? It is Tuesday. It's Gil Alexander. Uh, how you doing? Ben Wilson in for Jason Kahn today. How you doing, Ben? I'm great, Gil. What an honor. Oh, Filling in. The honor is mine. Uh, let yeah. me just say this. The, the reason that you are in today and tomorrow is that producer number seven, Jason Kahn, his, uh, his aunt passed away. In Oklahoma, so he is there uh, attending her funeral service. So we send a shout out and love to Jason, who is unable to be here today or tomorrow. He will be back on Thursday. Uh, ben we, has put together a fine show for us here. Jason Weingarten will join us at the end of the show. Usually he, he comes on uh, on the show on Wednesdays, but he was like, you know, I'm, I'm traveling Wednesday because the guy's got to go to the Hamptons. So uh, today he has all star thoughts and how the book should have allowed him to give them more money last night. He's got a whole thing about that. But he's got thoughts on the All-Star game tonight. Paul Spore will join us as well. Thoughts on the Derby yesterday and the All-Star game tonight. Um, we had a great uh, home run derby. I, uh, I kind of killed that home run derby crush it. I didn't give those on a numbers game yesterday. We don't, we'll talk about it a little later. We don't have to show uh, the performance today. But it was just uh, it ended up being a betting boon. Uh, so we'll get into that. Dan Bespris on the NBA Finals. We'll do that. I think Dan Weston will join us from across the pond uh, to talk tennis. I don't know. We'll see if we can find Dano a little later. And uh, Drew Dinsick here momentarily uh, will join us to talk not only about the Open Championship, not only the NBA Finals, but anything else uh, we can think of to talk to Drew about. So we look forward to that. Uh, I know he probably has a Calcutta in his future uh, in the next 24 hours. I uh, also want to send out a shout uh, to uh, Chrissy Andrews, my mishpucha, who runs the uh, South Point Hotel Casino here and was on the show yesterday. Didn't even mention this on the show. Maybe there wasn't enough time to mention it, but he's probably, probably too modest to have done so. But I just want to show his tweet from yesterday. Um, he sent this uh, sometime after the show yesterday when he was on. Today marks two years. This is Chrissy at Andrew Sports. Today marks two years since my bone marrow transplant. When you hit the two-year mark, you're considered to have, quote, survived, unquote. Big thanks to Dr. George Yagmore and his team at USC. And, of course, the biggest thank you to my donor. Please consider becoming a donor. It saved my life. That's Chris Andrews yesterday tweeted. So, for all goodness sakes, if Jason, uh, with his aunt passing, if he was on Twitter, I would tell you to uh, send Jason good wishes there. You could just have your whole Jason in your thoughts. But for Chris, you could actually tweet at him at Andrew Sports. Um, I'm sure he would appreciate that. But uh, too modest to have mentioned it yesterday on air. But that is such a great thing. Chrissy uh, is the reason that I am here at VEASAN. He is the reason that others are here at VEASAN. Uh, and uh, he and I have even survived my uh, my love for Bieber. Our friendship has even survived that. So you know it's strong. So uh, shout out to Chrissy. We love him. And we just wanted to point that out. Let's bring him in now from the Deep Dive podcast. And now, of course, NBC Sports Bet the Edge pod as well. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Drew Densick. How you doing, Drew? I'm well. How's everything going for you, Gil? Everything's good, man. Um, I know uh, it's it's a you know it's funny. July and early July usually sort of a dead spot. This ain't the worst week. Uh, we got stuff. We got a golf major. Uh, you preparing for that very very heavily? I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just just right now, putting a bow on my numbers, I can kind of go through where I see sort of probabilities and stuff. I haven't kind of taken them to market and really done some price shopping yet, um, but uh, happy to talk about some open. But you're right. Usually the month of July is a very sleepy month where I'm doing almost all NFL prep and uh, you know just trying to kind of keep myself from degening on anything, giving away bankroll that I'm going to need for the <laughs> fall. Uh, and you know, this year, all of a sudden, you know, we had uh, French Open and Wimbledon almost back to back, it felt like. And then, uh, you know, Euro 2020 in the meantime, which was just an incredibly entertaining uh, experience all around from a betting standpoint. So uh, it's been a wild summer. And of course, the NBA finals still going on here in the middle of July. I, I'm enjoying them there. It's fun to have NBA still to bet on in the summer. But uh, I got I, I in the back of my head. I'm, I'm ready to wrap this up. Yeah, I'm also, I have to say this, because I, I, I mentioned this to JVT last night. I may have mentioned it on the show yesterday here on a numbers game. The I don't know what I would have preferred, the delay before the finals, because I guess they, they set game seven of the finals in stone. So I don't know if I would have preferred the the delay before the finals and then to, put, to have played the finals sort of in normal rhythm, or this, where we're getting the extra day of rest between games of the NBA Finals, kind of takes the sail or the wind out of my sails. By the way, it's Gil Alexander, Drew Dinsick, a numbers game at Vison, the sports betting network, Vison.com, the Vison app, Fubo, Sling Game Plus, iHeartRadio. However, you're taking us in, we appreciate that. I'm not sure which I prefer in the end because this is kind of it's like, oh, there's still not a game tonight. We got to wait till tomorrow, kind of thing. But <laughs> I'm thankful because it's July and we don't usually get this anyway. Yeah, no, I mean you're you're right. I it's uh I like it when there's one day of rest on on each uh at each location and then if you want to give them an extra day of rest in between to travel i think that's completely fair you're right it does feel like we should get nba tonight and we have to wait another night <laughs> and, right. and the fact that the only Ameri- you know, u.s sports on is uh uh the all-star game is uh yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of a bummer <laughs> yeah we might find it better too we'll see if we could degen yeah. on that like we did last night with the uh with the home run derby all right where did your golf numbers land there Oh man! Well, uh, to the surprise of no one, John Rahm clear of the field. Uh, I haven't seen dominance like this in a really long time from one golfer like this much ahead of the field. Like I guess this time last year, uh, we were in the pandemic, so there wasn't many numbers. But <laughs> but once we came out of the pandemic and we were playing through, uh, you know, some of the the warm ups before uh, the Masters in the fall. Uh, or really, I guess they did PGA in the U.S. Open and the Masters in the fall. Um, you know, I had DJ as a as a meaningful favorite over the field, but there was a huge chunk of guys who were all playing really, really well, and it was just you know, it was like it was a breath of fresh air. It was like, oh my gosh, like everything's competitive. You can basically pick your blue chip horse for every single yeah. one of these majors, and anyone can win. And you know, like it was uh, it was a very fun, exciting time of golf. And then to blink and now have John Rahm as twice as likely to win as the next best golfer in the field is crazy that we have come this far, this fast with him. Uh, and that he is this clearly the best golfer in the world right now is, is, uh, is it's eye opening. And, uh, I'm not going to have bets on him. I'm looking right now at some of the market wide numbers plus seven seventy five. I mean, that is really, really, really short for a field that's this big. Um, I make uh, Rom plus 10, 10 by my numbers. I give him about uh, just under a 9% chance to win. Uh, and 
it, but it's, it's, uh, it's incredible. The amount of respect you have to give this guy. Um, and honestly, European tour, you know, European course, uh, this, this type of links golf, uh, you know, this plays exactly into his strengths. He is an absolute magician around the greens and, and what he's done putting in this little run he's had has been spectacular. So there's really not a good reason to go against the favorite here, in my opinion, but, uh, um, but the number that I'm currently seeing at some of the market making shops is, is pretty, pretty darn aggressive. And I'm not going to be betting into that, I guess for those people who are kind of like using the, the open as an opportunity to continue the, uh, you know, just the, the wave of fun betting that's been going on this last month between Euro and Wimbledon, et cetera. Um, and who are kind of new to golf, like rule number one, but absolutely shop around for price. Yes. Uh, you know, you, you're going to see, we're going to see wildly different numbers at different shops, um, just based on, you know, the way that these future books are set. Uh, and you generally in, you know, market cycle for golf is typically you start to see some futures pop at, at a couple of the early openers. Um, uh, those numbers get smashed around a little bit. Then some of the market making books open their future prices. Those get, uh, sharpened a little bit. You don't see a ton of movement once those go up usually. Uh, and then, you know, from there, they start to open up all the derivative markets and you can, you know, you don't have to just play into who's going to win this tournament, which, you know, there's obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty in there. And if you're playing something that has an 8% chance of happening, uh, over the course of four days, you know, that, that that's only going to win ever so often <laughs> you could, you could play 10 golf tournaments that's and right. not win. Uh, you know, so it's, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty art, you know, kind of a, it's an art to kind of finding the way you want to get your enjoyment out of betting in the golf market. Um, obviously once you have your futures books and, and all of the different derivative markets, uh, kind of shaped and, uh, and well, well priced, then, uh, you bleed into the head to head matchups, which is kind of a different handicap in, 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 you know, in and of itself, because at that point, you know, you know, you may have a tiny value on one golfer. You may have a, a fade price on another golfer. And when they get matched up from a head to head, all of a sudden you have a really, a relatively meaningful edge on one golfer versus the other in the head to head. That's probably the most effective way that I know most of the sort of the, uh, the rec or the rec plus, uh, golf betters are making their money in golf these days is really attacking the head to head markets for the full tournament and round by round. Um, but overall, um, I think, uh, this is going to be a pretty, pretty outstanding tournament. Again, I have Rom at, uh, at the top of my board, uh, at a fair price of plus 10, 10. Uh, and then there's a huge cluster of guys right around uh, 20 to 25 to one. I actually have speed as my number two for this tournament, Ooh. uh, largely because I think, uh, you know, what he can do from, you know, with a putter on this type of course is pretty darn important. Uh, and so, uh, he is my number two, believe it or not at plus 20, 40. Uh, followed by Shoffley, Reed, and Morikawa. So that, that's kind of the the cluster of uh, of four guys I have in the chase group behind Rom. Wow, we're showing Reed and Morikawa too right here at thirty three to one, a little further down the board. And it will be interesting to see with John Rom. By the way, noteworthy you didn't mention Brooks Kepka, who was always a name on on my mind and so many other golf betters' minds. But it'll be interesting with Rom. Now that he's gotten the uh, the monkey off his back, I guess not not in a Steve Young. I haven't won the Super Bowl yet. Monkey off his back uh, when he finally did in '94 uh, or in January of '95. But but he got his first major, the U.S. Open. And you wonder, you never know, right? You wonder if that sort of lifts uh, some sort of tacit pressure off someone, and he just goes ballistic after that. So we'll see. Rom's first major since then. Obviously, everybody's first major since then. He'll try to win two majors in a row with this. But yeah, plus 750, not exactly the nicest price on that. But as you say, always shop around because, boy, will there be variance on these numbers. 
Yeah, it's not like there's a, there there isn't the the same sort of uh, system in place where you have a Dom best screen and you know it's easy to identify steam and it's easy to take advantage of that steam in the golf futures market. It's just an entirely different type of market, and so you're going to see these things where you have prices that are all over the place. It's like the NFL draft props. It's like uh, you know it, it, there are lots of other examples of markets like this across sports betting where you can where you, you know for the first thing you think of when you say hey, I'm going to bet this event uh, is. I need to open every single book I have an account at. What was your what is your number on Brooks Kepka, just out of curiosity, who we're seeing anywhere between fourteen to one or eighteen to one, somewhere in that range? I'm not anywhere even in the universe of the really? eighteen to one. Really? Uh I'm at plus thirty nine ninety on him. So uh, I I tend to not bet against Brooks Kepka at the majors just because he does have uh, a motivational factor which other players don't, which the data never really captures. I mean, it's it's tough because you, you know what what do you what do you do with golf data? Uh, you have an enormous sample size of of them playing forty to fifty tournaments a year. Right. And then four of those happen to be majors. And if you're a guy like Kepka, who's really only trying to build a legacy by winning majors and you only try, you know, in you know, four or five, 10 weeks out of 40 that you play in a given year, then the rest of that data is going to drag your price down. And I am not someone who's just going to blindly bet the data as it is. I, I'm a hundred percent. Hey, let's make some numbers. Let's, let's use that as a ground truthing here and figure out where the, uh, you know, where value may exist and then attack. Um, and if I'm seeing, oh man, Kepka is way overpriced by market and I can explain it because I know that there are probably a lot of players who just fire away on Kepka because it's a major and because he's always mm-hmm. in contention and why the heck not, uh, then that's fine. Go ahead and do that. If that's your approach, if that's your strategy, I can tell you that I don't think it's fair <laughs> considering, uh, the data that we have on him and his, you know, what his overall strength as a golfer is. Um, but I also acknowledge that the data may be biased because there's a lot of tournaments that I'm considering when I'm making a price where he would did not care about the outcome of that tournament. And if that's the way it goes, then, you know, he's not, he, he may use, uh, you know, rounds three, four to, to practice some stuff he wants to work on in his game or, uh, you know, pull the rip cord in round two and not even make the cut. If he's just ready to go home and, you know, save some of his juice for, uh, something that he cares about more. So that is the he's rub. kind of a yeah yeah good and uh, I said that is the rub with him right it's sort of like the uh, the tennis player who uh, you know is down a break or two but up two sets to one in a major and just decides to tank that set and you're like well should I include that da-? you know it's like th- there's is that dirt is that data dirty basically is what I'm saying so I don't know just a, a tennis analogy on it but with him it's it's entire tournaments. Uh, but he does have good. He does have some good metrics in terms of links courses as well, uh, some strokes gain stuff. So really, it, it's a, uh, it's the old proverbial conundrum, as they say, Drew, with with a guy like him. So you you have him at thirty nine ninety. So for you, it's Rom Shoffley, uh, Reed Morikawa. Who did I miss? Spieth, obviously. Number yes, two. Spieth, yes. amazingly, my number two. I, I have yes. to do a little soul searching on Spieth, kind of look a little bit closer at some of his past performances. <laughs> this and make number sure that can't that's be right. Numbers. That kind of thing. Well, I mean, I yeah. Yeah, again, like, see, I'm still at twenty one. Uh, or 20, I'm at plus 2040. So I'm still not really inclined to bet into uh, anything that's that much shorter than there right now. Like I see it, some of the market makers plus 2050. So I'm, I'm pretty close to on market, I guess with speed. Um, but uh, just, I guess the overall conclusion that I'm, I could come up with just from running this exercise to this point is that, that, that whole middle class after ROM on the board right now at the, at least the MGM prices, that looks 
they look they all look overpriced. I mean, you know, you're not you're not get, there's an overlay uh, on all of those oh, players yeah. just based on uh, based on what I would uh, would run numbers for. So it's um it's going to be interesting to see if there's some guys kind of in the next tier, you know, who who ought to be in the 30 to 40 range who are actually in the 50s. That's probably where I'm going to find my value. Um, and then the question is, when you have that type of price and that value on those type of players, sometimes it's much broad, you know, at least in my opinion, you're going to have higher uh, return on investment if you attack the top 20 markets, the top 40 markets. Because if you got a guy that's kind of that you think is pretty highly likely to land in the top 40, and I guess I'll use, um, they'll use Brian Harmon as an example. Like I have him uh, 40% to come into the top 20. My guess is based on his current future prices that he is I'm going to have a plus EV bet on him to land in the top 20. Uh, and there's a handful of golfers like that, that I think, you know, all stick out. Harris English sticks out in that regard. Uh, Paul Casey sticks out in that regard. So there's, that's probably uh, what I'll do with those type of golfers, as opposed to playing, say the Harris English 70 to one or, um, or the Harmon hundred to one. Uh, and uh, yeah, like my Harmon fair is almost 40 to one. So <laughs> maybe I'll have a little Harmon hundred to one as well. <laughs> okay. Um, Harmon who, uh, did, who missed the cut here this past week at John Deere. Um, let me ask you just two follow-ups and I'm sure I've asked you both of these in some form in the past, but for those who, who may have missed your answers. So obviously golf tournament over four days, that's what makes it a, a beautiful thing to bet. What do you say is your rate of going back in after round one, maybe after round two, maybe live on the last day? Do you do a lot of, that side, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a, there are a couple of angles where I feel like you have, uh, if you have a strong fate on someone and I don't want to single out Rory McIlroy, but my Rory McIlroy number is not anywhere close to the market. Uh, and if I, if I, if I have a Rory McIlroy fade that I can pick on, not just for the full tournament, but round by round, I'm probably going to do it. Um, I, I really, I, I upweight current form, uh, relative to some of the, the mark, I guess nowadays, if you don't already know this data golf does a very, very robust kind of cleaning, smoothing of the data and, you know, per, per producing, um, relatively public numbers for all of this stuff. And a lot of people uh, who are sort of in the casual space will bet into those numbers and shape the shape the books because, you know, in that way. Um, and I, I tend to upweight current form relative to what data golf does by a lot. Uh, and I tend to, um, you know, have a very different idea of course fit than data golf does um, in a couple of key areas. Um, and so for whatever reason, they're way, way, way high on Rory McIlroy compared to me. Uh, and I, I, I would, I would lay pretty close to minus 200 on Rom over McIlroy this weekend, for instance. And I'm guessing we're probably going to get that matchup. I'm hopeful. I guess we get that matchup because that was, that was a pretty profitable angle of attack last week uh, at the Scottish open. Um, and I think, uh, just in general, I didn't agree with the price on Rory at the Irish. I didn't agree with the price on, on Rory at the Scottish. And now I don't agree with it at the open. Um, and so I think going back, you know, round by round, finding additional ways to kind of, uh, you know, to hit that, uh, angle of attack is, is a fair, 
uh, a fair way to to do that. Um, the question you have to ask yourself is, you know, if you're going to put a little bit of an eye test on it, if you're going to break down sort of the granularity of what you're seeing in a given round and determine, hey, was this fluky or uh, was my price wrong? That's an important aspect of of that decision making. Um, but uh, I I usually have no issue at all going in for round by round, just recognizing that it's a little bit higher variance. And variance is something we haven't mentioned, but it's super important. You have wild different you know standard deviations in terms of strokes gained across these different golfers some guys are very very consistent the Shoffleys of the world um, the Brian Harmons of the world are very very consistent round by round compared to some of the other guys like the Hovlands like the um, uh, let's see who else is particularly high speed is actually kind of surprisingly high I wouldn't have guessed that just given uh, you know what you think about him Dustin Johnson Fleetwood off the top of my head so. perhaps one of them yeah, Fleetwood yeah you know. that's absolutely true so you know if you're dealing with a, if you are backing a guy who's relatively consistent against a guy who comes in as higher variance, um, I'm more inclined to play that in a round by round scenario anyway. So, uh, you know, you just have a stronger, uh, you have a stronger mean prior there relative to, um, uh, you know, some of the flukiness that can happen uh, in a given one round of golf. And I heard you say in there, Drew, you would take Rom minus 200 over McElroy in a tournament matchup. That would be my price. Okay. Yeah, I would have no problem laying that kind wow. of a price on Ron. And, and realistically, another kind of a plus EV strategy, in my opinion, if you're going to play into the head-to-head market, I lay. I will happily, happily lay strokes uh, when I'm playing a favorite in a golf matchup because there is a long tail that benefits you to laying the strokes, which is if your player makes the cut and his opponent misses the cut, yep. then it doesn't matter what the, the final <laughs> scores are. It can be minus you could lay five and a half strokes and it would not matter. You still win that bet. Uh, so there is a long tail that benefits you if you're laying strokes uh, for uh, a head-to-head matchup where you have the favorite. All right. Uh, five more minutes with Drew Didzik from the uh, NBC Sports Bet the Edge podcast and, of course, the Deep Dive podcast as well. I don't know how we're going to get it all in, but I'm going to ask you about your, uh, let's just say you were in a Calcutta uh, for the Open Championship, what your strategy might be. Uh, his NBA Finals game, three thoughts and how he did at Wimbledon. We'll fit that all in next, right here on a numbers game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. Oh, by the way, you can follow Drew on Twitter at whale underscore capper. Coming right back. for more of a numbers game with Gil Alexander. In fact, you kept it right here, and I'm here. With football season just around the corner, it's time to get into BetMGM Sports Nevada, the premier sports betting app. BetMGM has all your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted odds specials, and much more. Just download the BetMGM app today and stop by any MGM casino on the strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Skill Alexander, Drew Dinsick, kind enough to uh, stick around here on a numbers game from Deep Dive and Bet the Edge. Uh, Drew, uh, let's just say you were in a uh, golf auction-style Calcutta for the Open Championship. What would sure. be your uh, your primary strategy? There might be some folks in your uh, Calcutta listening right now, so I don't want to give away too much. But are you thinking uh, go big on a few guys, go uh, 
wider net. What are you, what are you doing tonight? I have a couple of guys circled that I will be pretty aggressive in bidding. I, I, I you know, th- there is a, there are a lot of fun wrinkles and nuances and rules in terms of the way that you come up with a fair pay, you know, fair price on a given player for a Calcutta. There's like a, there are a bunch of bonus categories, you know, uh, hole in one or most Eagles or, uh, you know, or uh, lowest score among, you know, top 50 so, stuff like that, uh, that, uh, or highest, highest given hole, you know, a bunch of wrinkles that you have to price correctly in order to get a fair on a guy for this type of an event. Um, but it, the way that this particular Calcutta works out, the payouts are really, really um, upweighted in terms of the finishing top 12. Like if you're, if you have a guy finish 13th, you're probably, you know, I think you get nothing. Um, and so I tend to identify as sort of the cream of the crop that I'm willing to put a pretty reasonably high bid on. Uh, and I want to try to get one or two of those guys. And then I want to make sure the other guys that are in that crop that I think are going to go for higher than uh, fair price. And I can guesstimate that just by looking at, say, the, you know, a market making futures board. What, you know, I, I can tell you that I think Roy is probably going to go for higher than he ought to go. Uh, and so I just want to make sure that the bid gets at least up to what my reserve is and then let it go from there. And if I, you know, if I'm aggressive getting it up to a number that I know I will not go higher than, then the likelihood that there's a tail after that, that it goes a decent amount beyond what I think is fair has been a pretty reasonable strategy. Um, of course, if you're doing a Calcutta for with a somewhat new group of players who aren't especially you know uh, experienced with this, you want to get as many early guys as possible <laughs> because there tends to be a thing where players who are later in the tournament get overbid as guys who don't have anyone yet are like, well, I need someone. Uh, and <laughs> then right. they're not actually considering fair anymore. They're just trying to put guys in their team on their roster. So um, warm bodies. You know, yes, that, that it will not come into play on this one. I would be surprised if that yeah. has any factor at all tonight, but, um, but for sure, there are some guys that I have circled that I want to make sure they at least get up to uh, a given price. And then beyond that, I'll be happy uh, you know, letting it go, but you know, I've gotten caught holding the bag <laughs> on that kind of strategy before. So it's dangerous. I did a, a March madness Calcutta and I went in thinking all of the big 10 teams are super overrated. I got to make sure they at least go for, you know, what the, you know, what the current outright would price would suggest. And I got stuck holding the bag on Ohio state who I had like, you know, could not wait to fade one, you know, come tournament time. <laughs> uh, so th- there, that does backfire at times. If everybody in the room with you agrees that uh, a player is over. Uh, Wimbledon was good for you in the end. Yeah, I mean, my only uh, really heavy action on the men's side was um, uh, was Djokovic, and I had a little bit of Berrettini to make the final, Me so too. that that was fun. And then I played, um, uh, I played, I, I went back to the well on the strategy that worked exactly for the French Open final, which was uh, Djokovic to lose the first set and win the match. That was priced at four to one. Uh, and then of course he loses that first set in a tiebreaker, which was somewhat lucky. Um, but I thought Berrettini really raised his level to the last, last half of that set and earned that set. Uh, that wasn't a gift. Um, but then at that point in time, Djokovic was minus 160. Uh, so that, you know, that, that, that was a, that was a super fun way to attack that one. Berrettini, I think to win the first set was in like the plus two, two fifty ish range. So, uh, that was a, that was a, that was a, a fun, uh, Wimbledon men's final Wimbledon's women's final. Uh, I mean, credit to Ash Barty. She came back off that injury in the French open, uh, and was amazing 
at this tournament. Um, I'm uh, somewhat annoyed because I had some amazing prices on her for the French Open that never had a chance to realize value because she pulls out in round two. And then I didn't bet her really at all in the outright market this time because I, I thought either. she was still going to be somewhat injured. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that one stung a little, but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, it was the exact same for me. I had two futures bets. It was Djokovic and Berrettini. Never, never, ever felt like Berrettini was going to win. It was always just to have him, and that's nice to have them both in the final. Didn't have Barty either. Uh, and for me, I'll probably do Medvedev and Djokovic on the men's side at the U.S. Open. And uh, probably Naomi Osaka on the women's side. Probably. Yeah, uh, give me give me an exact Medvedev over uh, Djokovic in the, in the men's Oh. In, in the heat at Flushing Meadows. Oh, oh I yeah. like. That's, oh, yeah. Not, you know, the pressure of the calendar slam, the heat of Flushing Meadows, that's a beauty. Drew, uh, two more minutes on the NBA Finals, and we'll let you go. How about that? Yeah, that works. Coming back, a numbers game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. We have a decent subscriber exclusive today. You hear about this, Ben? This is pretty cool right here. Uh, Long Shots host Brady Cannon and Wes Reynolds will be answering your golf betting questions live just in time for the Open Championship. Used to be the British Open when we were kids. Then the uh, folks over there were like, no, it's actually called the Open Championship. I'm uh, I'm stumping for the Open, like the Ohio State University. Think that'll catch on? I like that. The The Open. open. The Open. Uh, Brady and Wes today, live today at 3.15 p.m. Eastern, 12.15 Pacific for a subscriber-only Q&A session. Subscribers will have access to watch live and ask questions, or you can email your questions ahead of time to questions at vcin.com. Watch for the link in your subscriber email and join Brady and Wes for all the golf betting insights today for the Open. Skill Alexander, Drew Dinsnick, uh, I'm sorry, had to keep him for still two more minutes. Uh, NBA Finals, Game 4, tomorrow night, back in Milwaukee, Bucks favored by 4 after Giannis did his thing in Game 3 and the Bucks end up winning it by 20 on the strength largely of a 19 to nothing run that turned it from an 82-76 to game to a 101-76 to game, and then it was uh, pretty much a done deal from that point. Uh, any pre-flop bets here, total or spread? Yeah, I'm going to take the points with the Suns. Four and a half was my buy point. It hit there this morning, so I'm down now on the Suns at four and a half. I think this is going to be a pretty competitive game. Uh, I don't have a strong opinion on the money line. I think the money line is pretty close. I see a little value on Suns at plus 180. Um, But, you know, this is going to come down to the end of the game, uh, which I think also lends to a little bit uh, of an edge on the under. However, if you've been betting unders in this uh, series so far, you are probably ready to stop betting basketball forever. (laughs) (laughs) They have been extremely, extremely. Extremely frustrating. You've been ahead by 20 points in the first going into halftime, I think all three games uh, and then come out a loser, depending on what number you got. Uh, and a game two, especially with the, uh, the late free, you know, the late fouling bucks down 10 under 30 seconds, sending guys to the free throw line. It was, it was maddening, but uh, so I'm not, I'm, I'm done with totals of this series. I'm just going to stick with the points. I think the sun's four and a half is, is a fair play. I, I, you know, it, it, it's probably going to bounce around here four and a half four. Uh, there's plenty of plenty of market support for the Bucks in this one. I think this is going to be a super even split market wide. So um, it's uh, it should be a fun one. So Suns plus four and a half is where Drew got it locked in for the game tomorrow night. Last thing I lied. Last question. Yesterday, I uh, I voiced the outrageous opinion 
um, my outrageous opinion that I think, even though it hasn't happened since 1969, the first year they gave out an NBA Finals MVP to a player on a losing team, it was Jerry West. They have never done that since. Uh, but yesterday I sort of threw this out there that if Giannis keeps putting up 40-point double-doubles and say the Bucks lose in seven and Chris Paul doesn't necessarily have another standout game, that Giannis Antetokounmpo could very well be the actual MVP with only 12 people voting on this. Do you think I'm nuts? I don't, but it, you you qualified that perfectly. It has to be in seven. Yes. Uh, if if the Suns win this 4-1 or 4-2, then forget about it. And re- actually, really, if the Suns win game uh, four, then you can forget about it because people will go into game five with the Suns up 3-1 and they'll be thinking, who they could win tonight. Who am I going to vote for MVP? Well, I'm going to think about uh, Chris Paul has been pretty outstanding. He deserves it. Yeah. Right. So you're going to have, you're going to have to deal with the fact that the media you know, media anchoring bias is going to be an impossible mountain to get over if the Suns win game four. Uh, but if the Bucks win game four and if Giannis continues to put up 40 uh, and this series goes the distance, could he win it at, on the losing team for the first time since you said 1969? I, I, I could, I would, not be floored by that at all. And he would probably deserve it. I mean, uh, you know, in some ways the Suns are kind of treating this like, okay, we'll let Giannis get his and we'll make all of the other guys miserable in this series. And that's worked to their advantage. At least it worked in the first two games. Um, so I would don't know why they would go away from that strategy. And I think Giannis continuing to get 40 is not crazy. I buy it all. It's got to be seven games and a loss to get it. Drew Dinsick, everybody, from NBC Sports, Bet the Edge podcast, and, of course, the Deep Dive podcast with his buddy Andy Molitor, who also uh, doubles with uh, hosting Calcutta Duties. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Drew. I appreciate it, as always. Sorry for keeping you over time. Drew, everybody. No Drew Dinsick on the show. Uh, at whale underscore cappers, where you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, last night, kind of had a good home run derby, Ben Wilson. Not going to lie to you. Uh, a primetime action last night, which uh, I do with Matt Brown, Danielle Alvari, Kelly Bidlin on MSG Plus, 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we do it for three hours. It's in-game betting. Obviously, the only thing going on last night was the home run derby. And I didn't talk about this extensively on, on the show yesterday morning, but I did uh, at the outset of primetime action. I had all four first-round brackets hit. So three dogs and Alonzo. That was the strategery, and that's what ended up coming home. And really, it was just that... I didn't think Salvador Perez had a shot against Pete Alonso. By the way, let me just say this. Salvador Perez, the biggest victim of the format, because he had the second most home runs in the first round, but because it was by brackets, he doesn't advance even to the second round. He ended up with 28 homers, but Pete Alonso with 35 out of the park in the first round of the home run derby. So hit that, hit the other three. Uh, Trevor Story won by one over Gallo. Mancini won by one over Olsen. And then Juan Soto in two tiebreakers, the extra minute where they both they tied at 22. Was it the, or they tried at 16? Then they both hit six in the extra minute, Soto and Otani. And then they went to the three swing off, and uh, where you just you you can be deliberate at that point. Juan Soto hit all three out of the park. Otani immediately grounded out his first. That was a lot of pressure. And so Soto got it done at plus 221, the best of the plus 145, plus 168, and plus 221 dogs there. Uh, I also got the longest home run over 518 and a half, courtesy of Juan Soto, who went 520. Pete Alonso, I had to hit the longest home run. He had the audacity to only go 514, so six feet shy of Soto. So I missed on that, and I did miss on Trevor Story to win the whole deal at plus 975. But that was a very profitable profitable home run derby. 
Uh, did you enjoy that yesterday? I love that format. Absolutely. No, it was awesome. I, you mentioned Perez, which he was like this year's Justin Bohr equivalent. And I, yes. I, I felt that, you know, <laughs> having covered the Royals previously when I lived in Missouri, like you know, so many people on Twitter were just like, how dare you ESPN? They mentioned his name like twice, you know, because like it was, oh, you just assumed it was over. He had 35 to hit. And so they were just talking about other stuff. And then you look right. up and it's like, wait, Perez has like 24 homers. Like this guy. That's how exactly smashed. how we were on primetime action. I was like, wow, he ended up with 28. Poor guy. Uh, so that was, that was really fun. And I ended up, I think the bracket thing, and I know it, it sucked for Perez, but uh, sure worked out well for me. Um, and so uh, I hope everybody uh, cashed along. I will say this about Soto. You know how, like, you can see launch angle off hitters? You can kind of tell. You've watched baseball a thousand, uh, you know, ten billion times in your life where you could see, oh, that could be a homer. With Soto, you can never tell. It's the weirdest thing with him. Like, everybody else, you're like, oh, that's gone. That's gone. Oh, that's gone. That's not. Soto, you're like, I don't know where this is going. It's the weirdest thing with that guy. Um, he gets it done, beats Otani. That was the big one, plus 221. In the first round, that was exciting going to two tiebreakers. Uh, we will talk Derby with uh, Paul Spora later. More importantly, we'll talk All Star Game and the bets that Jason Weingarten will make. We'll do that later. Hopefully, Dan Weston next, though, right here on the Numbers Game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. A numbers game with Gil Alexander. Bet on more than the final score with one game parlay at BetMGM. One game parlay is an exciting feature designed to help you make selections within a single game from over 400 bet types, including team and player props. Log into BetMGM or sign up to try one game parlay. If you're signing up for an account, make sure to use VSIN 600 and your first bet will be risk free up to $600. New customer offer paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Got to be 21 years of age or older to wager, though. Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line. 800-889-9789. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. I wonder how that all sounds to someone from England. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Dan Weston at Tennis Ratings is where you can follow him on Twitter. On Twitter, uh, When you hear that, are you like, what's wrong with you Americans and all your little jurisdictions? What's the reaction? <laughs> yeah, we don't have anything like that in England, Gil. Uh, it's all just one country and, you know, wherever the rule is in one place of the country, it's the same rule in the other places of the country as well. Yeah, we're two countries. I don't know if you've heard, Dan. That's how it kind of works with us. Ah, uh, it's, <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke, Dan. I'm not supposed to talk about that kind of stuff. So, uh, how... Uh, how did your Wimbledon go finally? Did you end up well on both the gentlemen's and the ladies' side? It, it was quiet because obviously we just didn't have that data on, on players. So it was really difficult to really t- look at any any positions with much confidence at all, to be honest with you. It was, uh, it was kind of a tournament I was quite glad to get out of the way. 
uh, to be blunt. And um, yeah, now we can move on, hopefully, to the uh, US hard court season pretty soon, where we do have a lot more data. And I can see you've got the odds up on the screen already for that as well. So yeah, it seems like a, something to look forward to for sure. Yeah, I mean, let's just start with Novak. Uh, Novak Djokovic, obviously, now with 20 Grand Slam singles titles. If he wins the U.S. Open, he breaks the tie with Roger and Rafa and maybe even more uh, distinctively, wins the calendar Grand Slam, which hasn't been done since 1969 on the men's side, and Rod Laver was done on the ladies' side. Uh, Since then, Steffi Graf uh, in 1988, she also won the Olympic gold medal, which I guess is what Novak is trying to do here as well. First of all, will you be betting the Olympic tennis tournament, do you think? Probably not, because again, we just don't don't have a track record of that, that particular event. And I don't like kind of those kind of sort of half player, half team events, if that makes sense. And you, yep. you, get, you get some quite strange results in, in, in the Olympics sometimes as well. So it's probably not one of the keener tournaments that, are, that I'm, I'm uh, looking to get involved with, I don't think, that's for sure. By the way, Dan, this is our best connection with you ever, video-wise. Oh, yes. great, great. Yes. Yeah, excellent. We can even see the stubble on your beard. That's how good it is this time. So, Absolutely. <laughs> so U.S. Open then. Uh, listen, I, yeah. I had two futures on the men's side, and Ben Wilson uh, and I were just talking about this. This was one of these tournaments where you can't even really brag about having Djokovic and Berrettini. I mean, maybe it's cool to have the two guys that you only bet on in the finals. Yeah. I mean, that that aspect, I guess, is cool. But it's not as if anyone really expected, you know, Novak to go down at Wimbledon necessarily. Um, and so for the U.S. Open, is it the same sort of thing, but in this case, maybe Djokovic and Medvedev being the two guys? Yeah, I think the market's got it right, obviously, having Medvedev as the second favorite. Djokovic kind of very, very, very marginally odds on. And it's interesting that, that before he dropped that, that opener against Berrettini in the final at Wimbledon, the only set he dropped in the whole tournament was against the British wildcard Jack Draper in the first yes. set that he played in the whole comp. Um, yeah, so so Djokovic, I think, you know, he's odds on for that, that as you say, Haaland slam. Medvedev, yeah, on hard court, I'd make him a pretty solid second favorite. Um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't back Dominic T with with borrowed money as the third favourite. Um, he's for me. He's had a very poor year, and hard court is generally not his thing, as much as it, as clay at least. Um, Roger again, very sceptical. We saw him get blown away in the end at Wimbledon, and that was his best surface. No doubt about that. Grass is his best surface. So there's team and Federer are definitely in my book two to avoid. Federer in that best or best of five set format as well is just not not for me. And almost one of the best things that can happen if you want to try and oppose Federer is that he ends up winning one of the warm up events or something like that. You know, yes. he like plays warm up events or manages a win over Djokovic or something like that in one of the warm up events. Then you'll see the price go down, and then you'll see maybe some value in the match by match stuff as well for him in terms of opposing him. Right. But I mean, looking at those prices, I can't believe that Berrettini is a bigger price than guys like Zverev and even Federer and, and team in particular. I would I would have Berrettini at a shorter price than team for sure. Thank you for uh, cultivating for for forming conforming your language to American betting odds. It's fascinating when uh, when any of us, and Ben Wilson is a fan of yours too, on on the stuff you write for Betfair, when you mm. when you say shorter, it means longer. When you say longer, it means shorter by the by the British decimal uh, format. So it's yeah. always uh, funny, but thank you for doing that for, for our audience. Ladies yeah. futures on the uh, on on the US Open 
uh, this fall. By the way, it should be pointed out, Roger Federer will be 40 by the time the U.S. Open is played end of August, beginning of September. Naomi Osaka, uh, deservedly so, the short shot at plus 450, yes? Yeah, I think so. Her numbers on hardcore are obviously very, very good. We just don't really know how she's going to come back from that kind of extended period off off tennis, if that makes sense. So, so uh, yeah, that's that's something to consider. Barty, obviously, won Wimbledon, but I'm not 100% convinced about how physically fit she was throughout the tournament. I think there was a quote saying that she was, her, her, her kind of trainers didn't tell her quite the position that she was in. Um, uh, but, but she's obviously numbers wise up there for sure. Uh, I wouldn't have Simona Halep at the top at all. Serena's certainly got question marks to answer. Andreescu is in theory got a massive upside, but again, mm-hmm. not, not really convinced so much this year since she came back from, from long-term injury. So again, we kind of see this dynamic in women's tournaments where there's just, it's just so wide open. It is. It, it really, it really is, and and I think like we always say this, and it's so true. You can there's probably thirty players you can win this tournament. We do say that a lot, and I feel like there was a moment there where Osaka was sort of the cream on hard courts, and there was really no reason to suspect that she wouldn't be good on grass either, right? Eventually, whether it was this year or another yeah. year, and then Iga obviously on clay. So it felt like there was a moment where there was at least. Is some inkling that we were getting out of that 30-player thing where 30 players could win any tournament. And maybe there was a couple who were rising to the top on certain surfaces. But now I feel like we're back to kind of where we were on everything, where it's like, yeah, I could see Naomi winning, but I could see somebody else winning, you know, randomly too. The, the yeah, two people, uh, you agree with that, by the way? 100%. But the thing is, is that Sarka's on 23 out of the last 24 on, on hardcore in the last 12 months. So that that's that's... Great numbers. Underlying metrics are very, very good as well. And and like you say, she should be able to translate that to grass. She's holding 85-odd percent on hard court, so that's that's the perfect tools for a successful grass court player for sure. But the thing is, you know, as we talk about Djokovic and Nadal and dominance and stuff in, in the men's tennis, but there's just such a huge ability differential between them and, and the other players on tour even like the lower level top 10 players it's just a huge differential but we and whilst you know players like the soccer on on hard court Sviatek on on clay court are i think it's fair to say markedly better than than than, than a lot of the women's players on on tour the top, top 10 top 20 the ability differential is still smaller yeah so we get that shock results a lot more and, you, and that's why you see like Djokovic his prices match by match prices were just like 1.01 1.02 and stuff in, in Wimbledon you don't really ever see that in the women's in the women's tour you you certainly do not uh, last thing because you bring up Serena and you bring up Bianca um so yep. on the men's side you know we saw what we saw from Roger Federer there were some moments there in the match that he lost uh where you almost not almost you felt bad you know, you felt bad that you saw a certain missed volley. Obviously, the great Roger Federer would never in his yeah. prime miss certain shots that he did. And he's going to be 40, and father time, as they say, is undefeated. So we feel that way about Federer, and you're probably right from a betting standpoint. If he wins one of the prelims, it might create an opportunity. But no one really, I don't think, thinks that he will rise above the fray anymore. Do you, do you, are you, are you in that camp with Serena as well? Or do you still hold out some you know, notion that, that she could win another slam. 
much more so than, than than Roger. So with with regards to Serena, I mean, she got to semi-finals of the Australian Open in February. Uh, she beat high-quality players in that players like uh, Simona Halep and Sabalenka. So she she clearly still has that ability, and also the fact that it's best of three sets in the women's as well is. I think a big advantage for veteran women players as opposed to veteran men's players. You know, there's not such a test of fitness. It's the same format as the the, the regular tour, whereas the men's obviously is best of three on a regular tour, not best of five. So I think that, that that Serena Williams is definitely still in with a shout of winning a slam, but she's still got plenty to prove. Um, I think that the, the market's, you know, roughly ballpark about right with her pricing there. Whereas Federer, I think the game's up with him. I think he's, I would be extremely shocked if he won another grand slam. Yeah. And what would it take for you to uh, go full on in on Bianca Andreescu, the 2019 U S open ladies champ? Would it, would it be a preliminary uh, tournament win or at least a fine performance? Would you get sucked in by that? Do you think? No, so at the moment, I want to see greater underlying data from her. So at the moment, looking at her 12-month hardcore numbers, got them on my screen here, uh, she's only running at about 101.5% combined service and return points, one percentage. That's that's top 25, top 30 level. That's not good enough uh, uh, to be at the forefront of the market. But in those warm-up events, she's obviously got this the scope to dramatically improve that. The reason why she's won so many games on hard court this year is because she's won a lot of tie breaks, and that's pretty unsustainable. So I want to see see the underlying metrics shoot up in the um, in the warm-up tournaments, and then, then we can discuss her with a little bit more. Confidence. All right, we'll talk. Right. We'll talk when the tournament begins. Dan, great lighting, great background, love the curtains. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thanks, Gil. Take care. Dan Weston, everybody, the best tennis handicapper on planet Earth for my money. Uh, at Tennis Ratings, you can follow him uh, also on his website, tennisratings.co.uk. We'll come back. We'll talk NBA Finals with Dan Vespris. Uh, and we'll do some baseball. Paul Spore on the Derby last night. Jason Weingarten on what he's betting tonight and why the book should have taken more money from him last night. He's got thoughts. It's a numbers game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. <laughs> 